and welcome to the fifth episode of the Arsenal Beat, a podcast which brings together the journalists and reporters who cover Arsenal on a regular basis. On the Arsenal Beat today is myself, Mark Manbryans from PA Media, the Evening Standard, Simon Collings, and debutant Nick Callow of Haters Teamwork. Uh, we start every show with a quick introduction to any new journalists on the panel. Simon and I have attacked your ears already, but Nick, could you explain who you work for and how long you've been covering and watching Arsenal? Yeah, well, I certainly wouldn't call myself a, a new journalist, Mark. Uh, I've been covering Arsenal since George Graham was manager. And uh, although obviously all us journalists like to say we're neutral, I was first, I saw my first Arsenal match and apparently I was a baby in a blanket, a babe in arms. And uh, I was brought, I raised up in an Arsenal family. So I'm getting paid to do something I enjoy watching Arsenal, but of course other clubs too. And I think in a way, if your club is close to your heart, it can make you much more critical and in a way, a better observer of things rather than a, a biased reporter. So, um, yeah, man and um, boy, mainly man, I've been going to a lot, a lot of Arsenal matches. I think you say that you, um, you can be more critical when you're an Arsenal fan. At the moment, it's hard to be anything but critical of the way they're playing. It's um, another defeat at the weekend leaves Arsenal wide in the bottom half of the table. Um, and what the three of us have done for today's show is each pick a big-name player we feel needs to step up and help drag Arsenal out of trouble. We know Mikel Arteta's getting a lot of a lot of the flack. Some of it's probably deserved, especially after his, his mathematical breakdown today. Um, Nick, as our David Simps, who have you chosen and why? Well, I've chosen someone who wasn't even playing at the in the Everton match, and that's the uh, captain, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I mean, for me, the biggest player missing this season is the goalkeeper, Emi Martinez, who I think really galvanised the team when he came in towards the end of last season when Bernd Leno was injured. He gave a shot of confidence to that whole defence and his real sort of passion for the club and passion for football and his teammates sort of went through the whole team. And that was a huge mistake, whatever the background was, to selling him to keeping Bernd Leno, who's a, a, an inferior goalkeeper, not a bad one, but an inferior goalkeeper to Martinez, has really undermined the, the confidence in that team. And as for Ober... I mean, I remember covering that opening game uh, of the season at uh, Fulham when he looked like, oh, this is like, he's going to carry on scoring. That's fine. He signed the new contract after all that speculation where we pretty much knew he was going to sign. He's like the richest player in the club's history, apart from the one who doesn't play him as Ozil. And Ian Wright's interviewing him, so you're going to be a club legend. There are going to be statues of Oba. Then he's hardly scored a goal since. I remember being at a match with you and uh, I think you pointed out that he'd only had 10 shots on target when some players had scored 10 goals. And it's not just the fact you could argue he's not getting the service and not getting the opportunities, and he's never been a real fox in the box sort of striker. But as a captain, you want to see someone who's sort of like beating their chest and sort of rallying the troops. And he just seems to go a little bit missing. And I think to the, that home game against Burnley and Wolves, and um, he just seemed to go a bit missing for me. And even if he's not scoring goals as a captain, you have to do a lot more than that. And I think he owed Arteta and the club more than he was putting in before he was. Um, Mysteriously left, mysteriously left out for this calf strain, which is going to keep him out of the Man City match too. I hope yeah. it isn't. Well, maybe I don't. I hope it isn't an injury. I assume it is, but um, it wouldn't have been surprised if he if he had been dropped because he looks like he'd need a rest or a kick up the backside or something. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I mean, I know it's it's a, a busy Christmas period, but he did look like he might just need to be taken out of the, the firing line for a while, didn't he? Not just fitness wise, but confidence wise. He's yeah. one of those players that he didn't. He wasn't even getting the chance to miss chances, but also his head dropped so quickly. And as you say, as the captain, that's 
that's the cardinal sin really is if your head goes it's very easy for those around you to go as well isn't it yeah i can't remember i think it was um there's a telling comment i think it was amazingly recently talking about penalties saying uh you know he's got that fantastic penalty technique where he sort of like slowly walks up to the ball and then sort of looks one way and kicks it the other way i think it was ian wright asked him so so um you know, if next time you get a penalty, you're going to um, you're going to take it. He said, "You try telling Ober. Are you going to go up to Ober and say I'm going to take this one? No way." So he's got that aura about him in the team, which the younger players will find harder to challenge. If they see him, I'm not saying not pulling his weight, but not doing what you'd expect of him, it's not going to sort of go very well through the rest of the team. And just talking about his confidence. I mean, one of the things Mikel was talking about in his presser was about the stats and expected goals and chances and how last season they were taking every chance. And that's when Ober was just on, on fire, wasn't he? And every time he got the ball, he just thought whatever position he was in, cup finals, semi-finals, he almost won them single-handedly by just taking his shots. And you watch someone like Harry Kane in the North London Derby the other week. It wasn't the best goal he's ever scored, but as soon as he got the ball, boom, it's in the roof of the net before anyone's even thought to sort of close him down because that's what a proper informed, confident striker does. He just, he just shoots on sight without thinking. And Aubameyang is clearly thinking... Once, twice, three, four, five. I don't know what he's thinking. Once, twice, three times a lady, almost. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I pick uh, Nicolas Pepe. Um, I know he scored, he scored on Saturday. Those who sit around me in most press boxes know that I don't have a, the highest opinion of him. And this was before Alan Shearer highlighted him. And I think did quite a good job of highlighting the, the, the downside of his play. He just seems almost tactically inept for a player that they've spent £72 million on. I know he's still young, but he has had a year now in England at least to to adjust. And he's another one where it's not a captain's thing and it's not his fault they've paid £72 million. But you're paying that for a reason and you you should be better. You should be able to turn to him and say, here's the ball, get us out of trouble. You know, you should be one of our talisman. We've paid so much money for you. And he's another one who just seems to be on the periphery of games when you really need him to take games by the scruff of the neck. I mean, Simon will know more than most. I've nicknamed him... Uh, oh, my cat agrees. <laughs> I've nicknamed him um, him Bebe after the, the flop at Manchester United because I, I just can't see how he turns things around. He was signed by Unai Emery because the staff highlighted how he could get back and help and then get forward very quickly, something they felt other wingers couldn't offer. But you're paying £72 million for a player that... It's struggling so much to make an impact, and I just don't think that that's right. Yeah, I mean, do you think, I, how I much a bit? Sorry, cycle. Yeah, no, I was just going to. You're probably saying the same thing, but you know, I, th- I think they overpaid clearly for for Pepe, didn't they? I mean, if if he'd been bought for thirty million, you know, thirty five million, I don't think you'd have the same sort of grievances. I think you'd probably be like, you know, he's not not the the best value for money, but he, you know, he's not far off what you'd pay for him. But they seem to have grossly overpaid for him. But what frustrates me about watching him is there's, I think there is a player in there and I think he's got talent in there. Um, and that's what annoys me more because I can see him doing it. I think Arteta stresses the point every time with Pepe. It's about consistency. It's about continually you know, delivering an end product, getting goals, getting assists. And I remember in that FA Cup final, you know, I sent a tweet sort of after 20, 25 minutes being like, you know, Nicolas Pepe, £72 million. Pounds, this is the biggest game of the season. You'd expect more for him. He then went and scored that outrageous goal, which was ruled out for offside. And that sort of sums him up for me. Like, he does nothing. And then out of nowhere, he'll get a goal, get an assist, but which is fine, but not for a player who's £72 million. He should be a player who's absolutely dominating the game. And 
I don't, I, ability wise, I don't think it's issue. I think it's, it's mental wise. I think is whether it's going to be with him. I think it's whether mentally you can get him to deliver consistency. Um, and at the moment, he hasn't done that. I'd still give him to the end of the season again. You know, give him the chance. But mentally, is where I have the doubts over whether he can be a seventy-two million pound player. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't compare him to uh, Robert Perez or Dennis Bergkamp or some real sort of Arsenal legends, but. You know, players who've come over from foreign leagues have taken time to adapt to English football and to, to life at Arsenal. Um, the, 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 the transfer fee is particularly unfortunate, I think, with Pepe, because you've both said his name uh, and said club record signing almost as soon as you've sort of put into your, your next sentence. And that's how he's always described. And it puts more pressure on him. And he does seem quite a sort of shy, quiet lad, doesn't he? For all his sort of boastfulness and extravagant skills and things. So... Um, yeah, I get where you're coming from, Mark. Uh, I think a lot of people expected a lot more from him. But he does need a run of games, doesn't he? He needs to have six, seven, eight games to really sort of try and find his feet, if that's the right uh, cliche that I'm looking for. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I'd almost sum it up as well by saying, if you are that player who, who's coming to a new league, you've got the prize tag pressure, you need to come into a dressing room that is going to, you know, that's going to get you up and get you ready. And there's always been question marks over. I know they've won the FA Cup. But there's always been question marks over that dressing room, hasn't there? And the cleats and everything. That what part of the thing that Mikel's trying trying to sort out? Um, Simon, we're going to your play now, and I know a friend of the show, Sam Dean, wrote a great piece about him. You'd already picked to talk about him now. He's, he's really. I wouldn't even say he's dividing fans at the minute. He's pretty much. They all seem to have the same opinion. Tell us who you picked. Yeah, I mean, I've gone for gone for Willie, and I've not read Sam's piece yet, but I'm sure he'll. Um he'll articulate what I'm trying to say more eloquently than, than I will hear. But for me, the, the frustration with Willian is, you know, following on from what we said about Pepe, where, you know, you give him time, he's a new player to the league, he's relatively young. For Willian, really felt like a signing um, that was to hit the ground running. And, and I know it was interesting with Edu, people picked out the fact that when he signed, Edu said he's the man for now. And then, you know, when he sat down with with some of the journalists the other week, he mentioned the points and, oh, you've got to give him time. So, when Willian signed in the summer, I was a bit reluctant about the three-year deal, um, but I sort of accepted it because the only way you were getting him was a three-year deal. If it was two years, he would have stayed at Chelsea. There was no transfer fee, so yeah, the wages were a bit inflated. But I really thought, right, this is a player who comes in and he improves the team immediately. I thought he was very good at Chelsea last season. He knows the league, tactically very astute player. He's played under you know, a number of managers. He's still got his pace. His injury record's very good technically good and when I saw him at Fulham on the opening day you know we we were talking about the afters I remember some of the guys and we were saying this is like a brilliant signing you know this he's just transformed that attack and he fits in so well and then from there he's just gone completely downhill for me um so so you know just really really poor performances not influencing games doesn't seem to move off the ball at times doesn't even seem to want the ball He, he looks like he's almost hiding but he's been, you know, it was joked about, I think it was, you know, James um, Gunnarblom from The Athletic who sent a tweet saying, who knew that one of Arteta's non-negotiables was Willian starting? And, and it's felt like that because of all the players who've fallen foul to selection and form, he has always kept his place, even after that trip to Dubai, when you thought, right, this will be Willian out the team. You know, he's in the team again against Leeds. So for me, I think he's someone who's really underperformed. And out of any player who I think is copping flat from fans at the moment, I think Willian is... 100% at the top of fans' list for, for not pulling their weight. I think there's a few contenders there when you look at Xhaka and, and, and others. But, um, yeah, it's a really, really strange one because that Fulham game, he just looked... I think uh, Mikel said something, you've got like a bit like Boris Johnson, you've got an oven-ready Premier League top-quality player here, and now you can't even... I mean, 
it doesn't warrant his place in the team, as, as Simon was, was saying. And uh, why why he is so poor, I just it's it's hard to put your finger on it because he's got all the qualities and ability. He seems he still seems at thirty two to be fit enough, doesn't he? Uh, yeah. Is it just in his head? I don't know. I think it's one of those things, isn't it? As well, we all saw that signing take place. There was a bit of will he won't he will he stay at Chelsea? There were offers from abroad, and then when he when he chose Arsenal and signed that deal, a few people thought. You know, Chelsea have dropped a bit of a clang here, not keeping him, not getting mm. off him two years. But at the moment, it looks like they knew something that a lot of people didn't. And that was that unless things change, he's definitely on the downward curve of his career at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, his injury record was the thing that I looked to when it, when people were saying about his age. You know, he just, he basically every season he's been at Chelsea, he's played 35, 40 games. It's similar to a Bamiang, actually. He's got a, another one with an exceptional injury record. Jamie Vardy's another player like that. So I didn't really have any worries about that, about him tailing off. But And I thought, I, I get some abuse on this on Twitter when I say someone is an Arteta player, because everyone's like, oh, what's that mean? But when I looked at Willian, I thought, tactically, he will do exactly what Mikel wants. Technically, he's very good. He didn't doesn't waste the ball, particularly that Fulham game. He was a player who would never waste it, and he was the opposite of what Pepe was. But since then, he's almost, you know, everything that I thought he would bring to the team, which was you know, pace with the ball, running at defenders, taking players on. He seems to have stopped all of that. I don't know whether that's, he's a victim of the system or he's not performing, but really, really, really poor. And, and I think he's someone who surely should be, be losing his place, I think, in these coming weeks. Then tomorrow, obviously, they play Manchester City, a team that are also struggling in comparison to where they've been in recent years. It's a cup competition. It's away from the Premier League where they've been doing so badly. I'm going to chuck loads of questions out to you now, guys. Feel free to answer them as you go along. How important is the game? How important is the cup? Will he rotate? And if they lose, does it just damage the morale further? Um, it's a difficult one because, I mean, how important is the cup? I mean, just, just for the mood it will do to win a game right now, any sort of win, I think, for Arsenal, you know, if they were playing, you know, Stoke, who Spurs have got in the cup, if they were playing them and beat beat Stoke I think it would be really good for morale um, so I think he just needs to win games now it doesn't matter about the competition I think he's at that state um, for me I, I wonder whether he might just rest players simply because of the reason you know the kids seem to be getting quite a lot of slack from fans at the moment um, a bit more understanding you know if he's played them and it will also you know I think if the kids played City and lost 3-4-0 you know the likes of Smith Rowe were playing Balogun and they, you know, lost 4-1, 3-1, gave a good effort. I think the fans would almost be like, okay, fine, we played the kids, you know, it was a good effort. Um, whereas if he goes full strength and they get pumped 4-0, 5-0, A, he's put more, you know, minutes in players who probably need a rest, and B, the morale from that is going to be severely damaging. So I, I wonder whether there might be a bit of thinking, let's rest here, let's play a bit of the kids, and it's a bit of a win-win. If we win and get a result, fantastic. If we lose, you know, it's not too bad because we played the kids, but... Um, it's at that point where just any win in any win is big for him, isn't it? So, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning there, Sai, because he really needs a win just for his own sort of uh, position you know, to sort of reassert his own authority at the club. He needs to show that he can pick a winning team and some winning tactics again, and then let Chelsea on Boxing Day take care of itself, see who's fit and who's willing and able to go again. It's um, it's difficult. I mean, it's just one of the things. All the criticism that we sort of talk about. It's all, it's all from Twitter, basically, isn't it? And and certainly uh, haters in our sort of YouTube comments, people have been, some people have been having to go, Arteta City won the FA Cup, well, he's just a cup manager and things like that. Like, what, what is it you want? And then 
when they had fans briefly in back uh, the other week at Arsenal, the Europa League game, people were chanting his name. It was like a party atmosphere. And even the next match, was that against Burnley or Wolves? I can't remember now. But, um, yeah, Burnley, yeah. You know, there were some boos at the end. But Arteta went over to the fans. And there was a good, maybe a, a quarter to a third of the fans that were at that match of the 2000 who were applauding him. And I did a Vox Pop uh, just before the last match, before the Everton match outside the stadium, outside the club shop. Club shop. And I spoke to about eight or nine fans. And I said, um, you know, what's going on? You know, what do you think of Arteta? They said, oh, yes, yeah, it's not what we wanted and this and the other. I said, would you change? Absolutely no way. Only one fan who happened to be a teenage kid said, yeah, yeah, uh, all good clubs change their managers regularly, you know. And um, I'm not sure if you took, you know, there's different factions of fan, of supporter bases, aren't there, fan bases. So I'm not sure where the Arsenal fans really stand on him. And even if he wins against Man City, which is, you'd have to say, is a, a long shot of the way they're playing at the moment, there will still be people, certainly on social media, saying, oh, well, he's won in the Carabao Cup. He won the League Cup. Big deal, you know. I hope he loses against Chelsea and gets sacked. And fans actually say that. I hope my team loses. I just don't get that at all. That's mad, isn't it? I know um, I asked him in the press conference this morning if there's a club the size of Arsenal, if they won the Carabao Cup, you could almost dismiss where they finished oh. in the league, which I know is basically what they almost did pretty much with the FA Cup last year. He said you know, winning this wouldn't be enough. I think everyone agrees with that. I think the other problem they've got tomorrow is they're playing the Man City team that aren't doing as well as they'd been expected to do. You know, if City were flying high at the top of the league and pushing Liverpool as they have been in recent years, maybe they see tomorrow as a bit of a bump in the road and play the kids, but it's one of the few trophies that's available at the end of the day, isn't it? There's four a year, as the old saying goes, and they've, they've taken it seriously every year. When Mikel was there as a coach, I think he won it twice there. Aguero's coming back to fitness, so there's every chance he might get a game tomorrow. So it is that that risk, isn't it, that you play the kids and get absolutely humiliated, but you could very well play a full-strength team and still come out of it, like, yeah. like Simon <laughs> says, you get absolutely pumped. It's, it's, it's almost a lose-lose for him before they've even kicked the ball tomorrow, I think, isn't it? Mm. That City game as well, I was speaking about City being a bit off-colour. I remember I didn't go to the game up at the the Etihad earlier this season but that felt like a game I remember watching that on TV City won 1-0 wasn't it where you know Arsenal didn't really go for them and they felt like a City team who you could have a go at it didn't feel like you know the old imperious City you know 100 point Centurion team they feel a bit sort of fragile so I think that's going to be interesting as well whether we see him do what he did at the Etihad where they just dropped off and you know almost just sort of accepted a 1-0 defeat rather than having a go or whether he thinks you know what let's go and attack here but um I really feel like it's not so much this City game where we're going to be judging them on the Chelsea game. There's the run of three games after that. I think it's the West Brom, Newcastle and Brighton games are three. Those are the games where as much as he's going to be looking at this week and getting wins, those three for me are absolutely huge because they will set the mood for, for the start of next year and, and really I think will be the turning point for, for whatever's going to happen with Mikel. This is our fifth show and we've decided it's time to get you, the listeners, involved. So please do take part as we launch our predictor game, Beat the Beat. Good luck. Beat the Beat, we'll see the panel all eventually agree on a prediction of the score for the next match. Is there a prize? There is a prize, not for you though. It's <laughs> Manchester City tomorrow, so all you have to do is tweet your guesses at the Arsenal Beat. We'll pick one of those guesses at random and the closest prediction between either the panel or the listeners gets a point. If the listeners score more points over the course of the season, 
and managed to beat the beats, there will be a reward for one of the chosen predictors. So, guys, what do we think tomorrow? We need to agree on what we think the score will be. We can take a score draw if that's what you think, Nick. I know you already mentioned it. What do you think, Simon? Uh... I think, yeah, I think either a score draw or a City win. I think, I think both teams will score. Um, I, I quite like the sound of sort of maybe one-one and, and City on penalties. I don't think City have been particularly free-scoring either, but um, I think they'll both score. And, and I think either a City win or, or a score draw for me. Nick, I think we're talking off air. You said you were you were quite keen on a one-all as well, weren't you? I think. I just I just, I just said it. So I jumped the gun a bit there, Mark. I just said a one-one a couple of minutes ago. See, this is what these journalists don't pay attention. They misquote us and they don't pay attention. No wonder they get the managers get so frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I as I said, a bit like Si, I think City would be favourites, but I just fancy Arsenal to get something out of this game. You know, their backs against the wall, and it is a perfect opportunity for Arteta to show and the players to show that they still care about doing well this season. I think they they have shown a bit of fight in recent games, but now they really have got a great opportunity. It's a it's a cup. I know it's only the League Cup, but it is a cup tie midweek Christmas atmosphere behind closed doors. Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for the one one draw. Yeah, I was going to. I would, I would have only kind of gone slightly five nil City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was only slightly leaning towards City because I just I have a feeling Aguero will play, but I do think Arsenal will be up for it if he does put a few of those the kids in that we've seen in the Europa League. We know at the moment that. The confidence is there with them because they've not had it knocked out of them in the Premier League. So I think, especially if if Arsenal can get the first goal, I'm happy. I'm happy to sign off you guys on a one-all draw. So this is our last regular show until December thirtieth, and we want you to be involved in episode seven as we preview the January transfer window. Send us your questions via Twitter at the Arsenal Beat or by email to the Arsenal Beat at Outlook.com. And we will have a dedicated segment where our panel look to answer as many questions as we can get through. That's all today from Nick, Simon and I. Merry Christmas and enjoy a little early festive treat from the Arsenal Beat when our first ever special episode drops on Wednesday. Keep an eye on the Arsenal Beat Twitter account for more information and stay safe. <laughs>